Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again. Guys, today is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Amen. I'm going to be teaching out of Luke chapter 24, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll get there directly. We've been in a series, we started a series last week, specifically an Easter series, titled, Yes, He Did. And can I tell you, I told my wife the whole time, like I planned this series like a month and a half, two months ago, and I said, so the series title is going to be, Yes, He Did. And it's gonna do. It's gonna. It's gonna take everything in me not to go. Yes, he did. <laughs> and I'm not gonna do it. Uh, but, but yes, he did. He did. According to what we learned last week, enter Jerusalem as king to announce who he was. He did today rise again. He did on Good Friday was crucified for our sins. Amen? Amen. And so today I want to talk to you about the most glorious of things is that he is not dead. He rose again. Yes, Yes, he did rise again. Can I get one amen? Amen. What I want to do today is I I want to say something that I say regularly enough, but I want you to pay attention to it. Not just because it's necessary, but there may be people in the room who need to hear it. Easter happens every year. And I'll be honest with you, there's only so many sermons you can preach for Easter. At some point, there's a finite number of things that you can do without going outside the bounds of Scripture to explain what the Bible explains. And so all of us, if we grew up in church, grew up, listening to this finite number of sermons over and over and over again, right? And this is the problem with that. The problem with that is that over and over and over has created a familiarity in us. And in our familiarity, we grow complacent to the magnificence and the beauty of the story that's being told in Scripture. And so I want to tell you, don't be familiar today. Let your eyes See, let your ears hear, let your heart be open and receptive to the truth as though it's the first time that you've heard it, and then celebrate that truth. Amen? All right. With that being said, let's talk. Imagine Resurrection Sunday, imagine Easter Sunday, whatever you prefer to call it. Some people are weird about it. Let's just call it Resurrection Sunday and how it started. It started dark and sad. Jesus was in the ground. He had been in the ground for three days, according to the Jewish day. Left to be tended to until after the Sabbath. Murdered on the cross. On the day of our Passover, on the day of Passover. You don't know the significance of Passover? It's when the Lamb's blood was laid upon the, the door post 
and whoever was under that blood was not touched by the death angel. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that Amen. type, that shadow. And here three days later is Easter. What started, Jesus having come, having been baptized, having gone into the desert, having then come out of the desert into the Jewish temple, opening up the scroll of Isaiah 61 and reading and declaring who he was, that's how his ministry started. It started by him saying this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is how Jesus started his earthly ministry. He was baptized, he was tempted, and then he immediately went and made this declaration over himself. And, it, and now, in your presence, this is true. This is who Jesus was. How many of you need to be released from captivity or have been, by the blood and the work of Jesus Christ, released from captivity? How many of you have recovered sight where you once were blind? How many of you were set free from oppression? where you were previously oppressed. This is the glory of the gospel of the work of Jesus Christ, that he came to do all of those things so that we might have eternal life. And so, man, his ministry started with a bang. He goes, you need to know exactly who I am. People that say Jesus never really told him he was Jesus, either are ignorant willfully or they've never read their Bible. Because over and over and over again, Jesus says, this is who I am. From this time until Pilate asks him, he is the king of the Jews. He is our one and only savior. And so this is how his ministry started with this proclamation. Fast forward three and a half years. And you hear this. How did that turn into, are you the only one aware of the things which have happened in these, in these days? The things about Jesus, the Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word and in sight of God and all the people, we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. This is the guys walking on the road to Emmaus, man. They're, they're walking away from Jerusalem, and they're, they're sad. I want you to pay attention to the text. Never read your Bible too fast. They're talking in past tense. He was a prophet. They were hoping. Let me tell you, Jesus was a prophet, but he is the king. Amen? Amen. And there is still reason to have hope. That hope is, in fact, Christ Jesus. That Christ Jesus came to die for us and ultimately rise again for us so that we can know that we have the hope of eternal life. 
But they weren't concerned about that, or they didn't remember that. We have to remember these things. Why do we sit under sound biblical teaching and preaching? So we can be remember, so we can remember these things, the work that has been done for us. Why do we read our Bible? So we can remember these things. Why do we pray? So that the Holy Spirit can bring remembrance to us through our prayers of these magnificent things that we didn't deserve, but we got anyway. Amen. So they were excited at the beginning, this bold proclamation, and then three and a half years later, sadness. It's almost like they completely forgot everything that happened for the last three and a half years. They had seen miracles. They had seen people healed. They watched Jesus teach with authority. They watched, some of them watched Jesus transfigure into his glory Peter, even for a short time, got to walk on water. They saw people's chains broken, demons released over and over and over again, multiple times on multiple occasions. All of these things, they saw them and saw them and saw them, and yet they seemed to have forgotten all of them, not holding on to any of it. This is the nature of mankind. doesn't matter what you see. doesn't matter how many times you see it. Eventually, if you don't stay in remembrance of the things that you have, you're going to fall into despair. We need to remember what was done on our behalf. After all, Jesus told them that he was that all of these things were going to happen. In Matthew 16, 21, he says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus taught them these things. They shouldn't have been blind to these things, that he was going to go to Jerusalem. The Bible says in John that he set his face as flint to Jerusalem, that he would suffer that he would be killed, that he would be raised up on the third day. And he said, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll raise it back up. He was telling them that don't worry about my death, worry about my life. Celebrate the fact that that which is going to begin in death is literally just the beginning of your life. Amen. But they didn't see it. They misunderstood. So let's set the record straight. Jesus rose again. And I want to talk to you out of chapter 24 today of Luke. And I'm going to teach 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, Two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothes, and as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? Isn't that a beautiful question? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while you were still in Galilee, saying exactly what I'm about to tell you, what I just told you, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, 
must be crucified and on the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. There is significance in remembering the words of Jesus Christ. If you want to be a person of joy, if you want to be a person of contentment, if you want to be a person of comfort, if you want to be a person that does anything other than mull around all mealy mouth, sad and depressed all the time, remember, if you can't remember anything else, Jesus Christ died for you, rose again, sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession on your behalf for no other reason than to prove his love for you while you were still sinners. Man, that's something we should be excited about. But that's not all. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, also other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense. And they would not believe them. Does that mess anybody else up? All the stuff that they saw in word, the very fact that what he told them came true, they thought was nonsense. Three points I want to make out of this text today. Here's the first one. They expected death. They expected death. One through four reads like this, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices, which they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were, while they were perplexed, about this. And then 10 and 11. Now they were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, also the women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. They expected death. And rightfully so. I, th I think it's reasonable under normal circumstances that they would expect death. If you took any other man and subjected that man to what Jesus endured, he'd be dead. Jesus, two days before, had been beaten. And I don't mean just a little bit beaten on. If you were here Good Friday, let me I'm gonna kind of go back over that. It says the whole Roman cohort gathered in the praetorium around Jesus. That is a minimum. Listen to me. I've been beat on by three guys at the same time whole Roman cohort is a minimum of 480 Roman soldiers who are trained in violence, who all came into the praetorium to gather around Jesus to beat on him. After three guys beat on me, I was lumped up, messed up, and kind of unrecognizable. Imagine 480 people beating on you. But he wasn't just beaten on. The Bible says that he was, well, hold on a second. Let me tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says he was beaten, scourged, which means he took 39 stripes with a cattail across his back, ripping the flesh off of his bones. He was stripped naked, mocked, led into crucifixion, and crucified. 
and a spear cast into his side. They expected death. And it's reasonable to expect death in the physical. Amen? Matter of fact, they came off the cross and said he's dead. But that's not what Jesus told them. Jesus said, I am going to die, but I will be back. Don't worry about that. In three days, I shall see you again. I will tear this temple to the ground. And in fact, he did. Amen? Hmm. How do I know they expected death? One, because it was reasonable for them to expect death, just physically. But also the Bible says they brought spices. Let's just be practical for a second. Jesus had been dead for three days in a desert environment, inside a tomb covered with a rock. Anybody ever been to the desert? It's hot. It's hot. I went to, the, I went to Iraq in 1990, 1991, and when I stepped off the plane, it's like somebody blew a hot furnace fan on me and my clothes immediately stuck to me. Now, in that environment, dead for three days, there's going to be decay. Do you know why they brought those spices? Not because they wanted to make sure Jesus smelled good for his tour of Jerusalem. They brought those spices because they wanted to cover up the smell of decay. They were certain would be there. And so they were like every other woman I've ever met. Even in death, they were devotional. They showed devotion. They knew Jesus was going to die. Somebody said, well, why did they go if they know he was going to be dead anyway? Because that's what women do. Can I tell you that's what women do? Women still do that. I watch my, I watch my mama. Still goes to her husband's graveside and lays flowers and spends time with him because she's devoted. I see so many other people do the same thing because they're devoted. They just wanted to pour out their love on Jesus one more time. Amen? They didn't necessarily expect him to be alive, but they should have. Where they were expecting to find death, what they found was hope. They found hope in one of the most beautiful questions in Scripture. Luke 24, 25 says, Why do you seek, I'm sorry, 24, 5, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Imagine that craziness. It says that they were perplexed first. Let's talk about that. that means they're, I don't know what to do. Jesus ain't here. Did somebody take him? What happened to him? Somebody steal the body? No, he's not here. He has risen. Your Lord and Savior has risen. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive today. You don't serve a Muhammad. You don't serve a Buddha. You don't serve any other false god made by hand or imagination. You serve the creator God of the universe that made all things, sustains all things, that everything goes eventually back to. You serve the living God, Christ Jesus. Amen? 
That's the hope that we have. And he told, even before he left, he told the apostles the same thing. He said, the world's going to rejoice. You're going to be sad, but don't stay sad. This is what he said specifically. In John 16, 19 through 21, he said, Jesus knew what they had wished to question him and said to him, are you deliberating together about this? That I said a little while and you will not see me. And uh, again, a little while and you will see me. Did y'all catch that? Are y'all discussing this? That you're going to see me and then you're not going to see me and then you're going to see me again? He's talking about the resurrection. Truly, truly, which means to say, pay attention. I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world would rejoice. Why would they weep and lament? They would weep and lament because they will believe they lost their Savior and the world will rejoice because they believe that they have killed the false Messiah when in fact they killed the real Messiah. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of a the joy that a child has been born into the world. That's the promise that we have, that even though we're going to suffer for a little while, even though we're going to struggle for a little while, even though there's going to be some pain, even though there's going to be some anguish, some things in this life that you don't understand, let me tell you, you're just like a whim, a woman, a pregnant woman about to have a baby. It's just going to hurt for a little while, and then you're going to hold the glorious promise that you anticipated, that you went through that pain to hold. More specifically, we get to say we're going to be held by that glorious promise that we've been given. And then he continues, he says, Therefore you too have grief now, and you we and will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. Can I talk real plain to y'all, church? It's the only way I know, really. If you know Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, if you've declared Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, believe, Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, why don't you have joy? Jesus died, was buried like these babies saying, died, put in the ground, raised again, ascended into heaven, the right hand of the Father, make an intercession on your behalf. I say that all the time. You know what that means? That means every time you do something stupid, God's all, Jesus is all, Father God, that one's mine. You promised that that one's mine. And the anguish that you're going through right now, this little bit of torment, this little bit of frustration, he was talking to them then in regard to, to the resurrection but he's talking to us now in regard to eschatology, in regard to the end times, that he's going to come back for us or we're going to die either way, whichever happens first. Our joy has been made complete because our pain, suffering, grief, and struggle is just temporary. And it's just temporary because Jesus absorbed it all. He took the punishment that we deserved. He took the wrath that we deserved so that we might be able to have joy in eternal life. Isn't that beautiful? I told you don't get familiar with the text 
because the text is too big for us to get our finite mind around anyway. Our hope is found in Jesus and his work. Jesus brings hope because he defeated death. Did you know you deserve to die? If you don't, now you're all, man, that doesn't sound like a very Easter thing to say. It's the greatest Easter thing to say because it brings on the greatest. It's the greater, so I can talk about the greatest Easter thing to say. You deserve death. For the wages of sin, according to 623, of sin is death. Your sin should cost you death. Why? Because God said so. And because he's perfect and he's a perfect judge, because he's not a God who can lie. Because he said so, you deserve death. But you know what? He sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that the second half of that might be fulfilled, that there is a free gift of God, which is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You deserve death, but you got Jesus instead. Let me tell you, if I'm going to flip that coin, I'm going to pray for Jesus every time. You deserve death, but God Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus took your place, literally took your place on the cross. That suffering, that beating, that scourging, all of those things, his skin being broken, his body being pierced, all of those things that he endured, that separation from God, the wrath of God that he endured, he endured so that you won't have to, so that in the heavenly realm of eternity, when you're standing in that courtroom, Jesus can say, no, sir, this one belongs to me. I've already done his time for him. That should bring us joy. Why do we have hope? We have hope because we know we will not see an eternity separated from God, not because we deserve it, but because God decided that we should. Whoo, man. That's so good. That is so good. He took the debt that we owed, and according to Colossians, canceled out the certificate of death concerning decrees against us. He became sin, became sin, so that we might become righteous. He allowed himself to be at enmity with the Father, so we could be at peace with the Father. Hey, it's good to see you, man. Amen? I want y'all to get a hold of that, man. It's so good. I hope this doesn't sound like bragging. It might. I don't know. Know that it, do, it doesn't come from that place. I got saved in 2006. Immediately felt called to ministry, didn't know what that meant. And I get asked pretty regular, how did you not lose your zeal from the first day you got saved? First answer, grace of God. Second answer, I refused to allow whatever message I heard to become familiar in my ears, and I celebrate it every time I hear it as though it's the first time I hear it. Oh, man. I know, Jesus died for me. No, Jesus died for you. I know, Jesus was crucified for me. No, no, Jesus 
was crucified for you. Jesus came down from heaven, took the form of a man for you, suffered the humility of the cross for you. All of these according to Philippians chapter 2, if you want to go look it up. Jesus did everything necessary to ensure that you could have the hope that you have. You know how that light gets snuffed out? It gets snuffed out when we stop paying attention to it, when we start becoming familiar with it, when we start coming to church because it's what we do, when we stop reading our Bible because it's still going to be there tomorrow, when we stop praying because ah, God's willing to pray with me anytime. He is willing to pray with you anytime. He's willing to send his son Jesus to die for you. Maybe you should make time. Anyway, I'm preaching now. Do y'all hear what I'm saying? Jesus defeated sin so we could have the hope of eternal life. But not only did he defeat sin for that hope, he defeated death for that hope. And that's what we're here to celebrate today. Hebrews 2.14 says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He became like us, is what those fancy words are saying. That through death, he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. He took the enemy's authority of death away from anyone willing to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. He took that authority away from the enemy and gave it to the believer to place the enemy's name under our feet and stand in victory, not in what we have accomplished, but what in Christ Jesus has accomplished for us. That's good. Yeah. He has been evicted from influence in your life. You want to know why else he came as a person? He came as a person to show you that it's possible to live outside of your sin because he did it as full man. Well, man, I'm trying to be holy, but I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. No, you're either saved by grace or you're a sinner. I choose to be saved by grace. Now, you might fall down, but let me tell you, repent and you're a saint again. All right. Everybody all right? I started getting a little yelly, but it, it's necessary that we understand we give the enemy too much credit over our life. We say, man, enemy's really attacking my finances. No, enemy's not attacking your finances. You went and drank all your finances away. Now you lost all your stuff. Enemy's attacking my family. No, you slept on somebody besides your wife. That's why your family's tore up. Enemy's attacking my kids. No, you didn't raise them in the admonition of the Lord. That's why. The, that's what's happening to your kids. So much of what we want to blame the enemy for is our problem because we didn't walk in the victory that Christ gave us in his own death and resurrection. All right. I'm going to take a breath. And in defeating death, in defeating sin, he extended mercy. They received mercy. They expected death. They got hope. And in their hope, they got mercy. There's one text verse I didn't read to you. 
And that's verse 12 out of the Luke text. It says, Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to the home, to his home, marveling at what had happened. If you'll search the Gospels, you'll see that Peter gets to the tomb, and every one of them. Peter, although he refused to believe it, all the apostles refused to believe it, still ran. He ran to the tomb. So he was there. I want you to understand that. Are y'all hearing me? Jesus was at the tomb. Or Peter was at the tomb. But if you'll look, Jesus found Peter somewhere else. How does he have the evidence that Jesus is no longer in the tomb? How does he know because it's been declared by the angel that Jesus Christ is risen and still run from God? You want to know why he ran from God, I think? Can't prove this, but I know it's my condition. We run from God not because of what God did to us, but because of what we did to God. And if you'll remember, Peter denied Christ three times. He denied him to a little girl, and then another little girl, and then what the Bible defines as just bystander. After having just said, I will die with you if I have to. I think there was such shame there. He didn't understand that Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Jesus came to save us. And he will chase you down in his mercy. That's exactly what he did for Peter. If you'll go to John chapter 21... We see Jesus going to the Sea of Galilee. You're thinking, man, why did he go to the Sea of Galilee? He went to the Sea of Galilee because that's where Peter was. He has breakfast with Peter, and he said to Simon Peter, verse 15, Simon, son of John, why, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. Now, I don't know about you. This is how I picture my mind. I can't prove it. But have you guys ever been so guilty when talking to somebody because you know you did them wrong and because of their humility or for some reason they've approached you? You can't even look them in their face. I've been to this spot in Israel where they say this happened. And I've sat where they say this fire is, was. And I've kicked my feet in that dirt. And I could picture Peter with a stick or his foot kicking dirt, but still answering Jesus in his shame. Yes, Lord, I love you, but I can't look at you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you, but I can't look at you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. And God restored him. God extended mercy to him. You know what the beautiful thing about God is? He said he'll chase us down to give us mercy. 
He could have left Peter doing whatever it is Peter was doing. He could have said, Peter didn't want what I had. I told him he'd do it. He did it anyway. But he made Peter a promise. He said, upon your confession, I'm going to build my church. Peter had a significant role to play. Why do I say that? I say because he's made you a promise too. He's made you a promise that you're going to be his and that you are his if you've confessed the name of Jesus Christ as Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. All of us need mercy. I've done things, even since being saved, that I thought, I can't go to God. Then I'll have to talk to him. It's a matter of time before the Spirit weighs so heavy on me. God comes, finds me. Amen. Why? Because he promised me that he was mine and that I would be his. So today, the, the greatest thing I could say to you is that God wants to extend mercy because of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus where there should be death. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never made a confession, if you've never said and believed Jesus Christ is Lord, while believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's saying that I'm going to do whatever God tells me to do and that I believe he raised Jesus from the dead and because of that I know my hope is that I won't see death either. If you believe that, you shall be saved. If you've never made that confession, can I encourage you by the power of the Holy Spirit because it's not something you can do on your own. Would you raise your hand? I want to pray with you because I believe God wants to extend mercy to you. God wants to prove his love to you. Or if you've ran to back to your fishing spot, God still wants to extend mercy to you. He said, no, 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 no. I made a promise that you're going to be mine. You're going to be mine. If you need to realign, would you raise your hand? 